the book of Judges, Judges chapter uh, 7, Judges chapter 7, I want to share a message entitled Gideon's Battle, out of Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis, not Genesis, Judges, amen, Judges chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, then uh, Jerubel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well, well of Herod. Uh, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mor uh, Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vault themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore go to and uh, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And uh, there returned all the people, uh, returned of the people twenty and two thousand, uh, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many; bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee. This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and uh, whomsoever I say unto thee, uh, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought the people, no, I'm sorry, so he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon the, his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. And, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the people, other people, go every man into his place. So the people took his uh, their, uh, took victuals in their hand and their trumpets and uh, sent all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent, and retained those three hundred men and the host of Midian, who's beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night. That the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Help us to learn some practical uh, truths here in uh, Gideon's battle that will help us in battling the, the uh, opposition and the attacks that we experience as a Christian. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we'll be able to experience real victory as we trust in God and believe God for mighty things. Uh, certainly, it's a mighty miracle how you would deliver uh, Gideon and, and uh, uh, the people of Israel uh, according to your strength and according to your power. And so, Lord, continue to help us understand uh, the miracle working God that's uh, interested in working through our lives, Lord. And so, uh, let bless us in a great way tonight. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse is verse 7. It says, The Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, while I, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thy hand, and let all other people go, every man, unto his place. Gideon's battle. We know Gideon uh, would be identified as a mighty man of valor, but when he was identified as a mighty man of valor, he was hiding from the Midianites. And, uh, but God certainly knew Gideon and had, uh, uh, knew that Gideon would be a mighty warrior for God because he would be willing to trust his God. And now Gideon, he has the confidence, he has confidence in God's call and God's will for his life. And so now God can literally use him to enter into the battle to fight against the Midianites uh, to give the children of Israel complete uh, victory. Uh, now that uh, Gideon has gained this confidence, God can trust him with the task that is at hand. Uh, oftentimes I just wonder how many things God withholds from us and not entrust to us uh, to accomplish because uh, he does not have our confidence that he can do what he said he would do. 
And uh, so I think there's some things that we can learn. We all face challenges in life. We all face battles that we have to overcome. And when we face those challenges and when we face those battles, there's two questions that have to be answered in our minds and our hearts. First of all, can I trust God to strengthen me for the task? And, uh, and we certainly are not going to launch out in faith to accomplish things that's beyond man's abilities if we do not have confidence that God can, in fact, give us the strength and the, the ability to be able to uh, succeed in the task that he may put before us or the battle that is raging in our life. Can God, in fact, strengthen me for those times of opposition in my life? I have to answer that for myself. I can't answer for that for you. I have to answer it for myself. Do I have the confidence that God's going to strengthen me? The second question that has to be answered is, can God trust me to meet the challenge? And it's just interesting, as we were preaching out of Exodus chapter 3 this morning, that God called Moses after Moses turned to the side to see the burning bush. And I think that indicated that God could had confidence that Moses would do what he would ask him to do. And I think that God uh, entrusts to us strength and ability to fight off the attacks of the enemy, uh, facing the challenges that we have to overcome. When we demonstrate we have a confidence that he can strengthen us, God will have a confidence to trust us with the task or the responsibility to, to go through. I often wonder sometimes if uh, God withholds financial blessings on people who do, don't manage their money well. And uh, if we rob God and we don't give unto the Lord, uh, can God trust his, his finances in your life uh, for you to use it the way God so commanded? Can God entrust to you uh, opportunities to minister and lead others to know who Christ is? Can he entrust you with that tr task and that responsibility? Or will you ignore the opportunities to be able to lead others to Christ? What can God trust you with in your life in facing this battle. This battle that Gideon's going to fight is based on the fact that God had trusted Gideon to be the leader to deliver the children of Israel. The book of Judges is a book that's summed up in that everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. But as God is calling Gideon and directing Gideon to fight this battle against the Midianite, he understands that God is aware that Gideon's not doing that which is right in his own eyes, but rather he's willing to succumb to the leadership and the direction of God in his life. And so the battles we face, the challenges we have to overcome in life, I believe there's a direct correlation on how much can God trust us with the task based on the fact of how much we can trust God to give us the strength to do the task. And so the battle is great. Every one of us have a battle. I could put any of our names up on the screen as a title. Could, I could put up there Michael's battle. I have battles i got to overcome. I have oppositions. I have challenges and difficulties in my life that I have to overcome. How am I going to overcome them? You put your name on that screen. How, what challenges are you facing? What battles are you fighting? What is the challenge in your life right now? We can have victory if we can have confidence that God will strengthen us. So I want to do, I want to look in this chapter and kind of highlight a few thoughts about how Gideon uh, had victory uh, through the power of God that was working and leading him. First of all, there's a purging out in verses 1 through 6. A purging out. And uh, uh, notice in uh, verse 2, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into thy hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And so I see, first of all, in the first part of that verse, is that God is not impressed with size. We always have this idea, well, if we had more money, if we had more friends, if I had a bigger church, if I had a, a nicer area, uh, and yet we always think that if we had more things that were greater in number, that we could accomplish more things for God. When in reality, God is saying this, Gideon, what you have is too much. And the amazing thing is, I think God wants to purge some things out of our lives sometimes, 
so that we might depend completely and trust him completely in facing the task. And so sometimes we got to purge some things out. And uh, because uh, they become a burden to us, you know, Hebrews tells us to lay aside every sin and the weight that does so easily beset us. And so easily we allow things to accumulate and pile up in our life that causes us to think that we're being successful when in reality all we're doing is being weighed down by the things in life. All we're doing is being weighed down by the sins that continue to pile up and accumulate in our life. And then we wonder why we're not fighting the battle successfully. We wonder why we're not winning the battle successfully. And it's because of the fact we're impressed with greatness. We're impressed with size. We're impressed with greater opportunities that we build ourselves. But God just simply says this, I'm not impressed with your size. And uh, uh, God does not despise small things. And uh, God is not going to be moved to give you victory because you're able to accumulate a lot of uh, things in your life. In First Chronicles uh, chapter 16 in uh, verse 25, if I can get over it, I'll get over it real quick. And it says, for, the, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, he also is to be feared above all gods. And so the God whom we serve is a God who is great and he's worthy to be praised and he is to be feared above all gods. And so we can't, we can't succumb to the influence of this world because we say, well, the world outnumbers us. God's not impressed with the numbers of the world. God can defeat the world. Matter of fact, I believe if you read the Bible, the world's already defeated. And I believe you read the Bible, the devil's already defeated. And I believe you read your Bible, you'll find that your flesh is already defeated. They may have mighty armies, they have mighty influence, they may have mighty financial abilities, they may be able to launch their attacks as Israel's facing the Midian army that is greater in size than what Israel is. But God said, Israel, you have too many. Sometimes we just need to cut some things down. If we're going to be able to have victory where we depend on the strength of God, there may be some things you just need to let go. Just need to let it go. And put yourself in a position where you have to depend on God because if God doesn't come through, you're not going to make it. Gideon cutting his army down to 300 men was in a position that he absolutely had to have God give the victory because there's no way that 300 Israelites could defeat the mighty Midianite army. And so uh, if we want to be able to have victory in the battles that we face, we, there's some purging out. God's not uh, impressed with size. And so God does not bless us. God does not give us a victory based on how large we are or how big we are or how much influence that we have. So God is not impressed with size. So that needs to be purged out. Uh, we can't be a big shot with God. God is, God is the one who is the big one. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one that gets the glory, not man. And so uh, God's not impressed with size. I see the second thing here in this purging out. That God, I'm sorry, we must not be impressed with ourselves. Because it goes on in verse 2 that he wanted him to cut down the size of his army. And he gives him the reason, lest Israel vault themselves against me saying, my own hand has saved me. And so God says, wait a minute, I'm not impressed with how many you have. So we're going to cut your army down the size to where you're going to have to depend on me. Because the reality is, if you win the battle based on your size, talents, and abilities, then you're not going to give me praise and glory. You're going to boast about how you did it yourself. And, uh, it, and listen, we need to live in the realm of grace and grace alone. Uh, if God's going to do anything in our life, it's based on his grace. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. God moves in our life and gives us victory through his grace. It is not about anything that we can do. I've had, over the years, sometimes I've had people say, well, you know, uh, Pastor, you know, the church has grown and we've had this experience and that experience and there's been some great things. Boy, you've done a great job. It has nothing to do with the pastor of the church. 
You say, well, wait a minute. God's called a pastor. I understand that. But the pastor is depending upon Christ and Christ alone. If God doesn't come through, then we're not going to make it. <coughs> In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God taught me very early in my years of ministry uh, that he does not need me to father the ministry in the church. He can put anybody in there. And, uh, you know, I've started the church, and when I left, the church continued on. Uh, now it's merged with another church several years ago. They did that, but it continued on. I pastored a Dividing Creek Baptist Church. It was down there, and one of the things I thought, I looked through their history, and I saw that church was started in 1767, and I looked at the average stay of a pastor at that church was six years. And, over, and so you start adding it up from 1767 till present day. That's a lot of preachers that went through that place. And you know what? The place is still in operation. And so God doesn't need me in there. He can put someone else in there. Now, God doesn't need me here. He can put someone else in here. See, we're, we're not, the, the, the material thing about victory and winning the battles, it's not about ourselves. It is about who God is. God calls men, he calls people to lead in different areas of ministry, and certainly he wants us to have victory in our ministries that he provides for us, but he does not want it to be so based on the fact of who the man is. I've watched, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I've watched a lot of ministries in the last 35 years that were powerful ministries that were sending multitudes of people out into ministry that was built on a man. And you know where they are right now? They're non-existent. They're non-existent. Israel had a problem that as they would face the enemy and they would fight the battle, the problem that they had was, wait a minute, they had, they had too many, too many resources, too much of an ability to try to win the battle by themselves, and God did not want them to be puffed up in pride. He said, I'm going to take away your resources to where you have to depend on me because I'm not impressed with your size. And you know what? You know, if I don't cut you down to size and humble you in my presence, uh, that what's going to happen is all you're going to do is puff yourself up and say, the Lord didn't deliver us. We did this ourselves. And it is a dangerous thing for a Christian or a Christian ministry to ever get to a point where it is depending upon human ability to continue to have it function. And we need to depend on the reality of the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. We're having this men's prayer conference for one reason, not because I feel like my schedule is empty and I need more things to do. <laughs> I'm not sitting around saying, boy, I'm really bored this year. Let's think of something else that we can do. We're doing it, and I specifically decided to do it based on the reality that I feel that we need every man in this church to be spiritual men. Men who are going after God more than going after everything else. And I'm afraid that many of us have forgotten what it means to run after God and pursue after God. And we can't pursue after God if we're building ourselves up and there's some things that need to be purged out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul says, Purge out therefore the old leaven. You got to get rid of some things. Purge out the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so uh, heresy needs to go. False teaching needs to go. Uh, pride needs to go. The, the works of the flesh needs to go. There needs to be a purging out so that we can face the battles that are before us 
and be able to have victory, what, what must be purged out in your life? I thought of uh, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 1 and uh, verse 7. I thought about fear because in the chapter here it speaks about fear. He says, those that are fearful and those that are afraid, let them go back. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if God has given us those things to be able to face the battles that we have to fight and, and overcome, then if I'm fearful, I need to purge that out. Uh, there's a lot of places where we become fearful. Now, we might be uncertain about what the future holds, but we don't have to be gripped with fear. We might be pursuing after God and wanting God to help us to understand what it is uh, that he is going to do in our life, but we don't have to be gripped with fear. We don't have to be defeated with fear. Uh, many a person never moves ahead to face the battle because they're afraid. And with the Lord, we don't need to be fearful. We can have strength, we can have power, we can have hope, we can have direction, we can have leadership, not based on who we are, not based on what our size or our resources are, but based on the reality that God has stated that he would give us the victory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Everything about the Christian life is a life of victory. It is not a life that's absent of problems and difficulties and persecutions and opposition. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is full of all those things. But in the process of facing those things, God is the one who gives us the victory as we purge those things out in our life. And so there's a purging out of fear. A purging out of indifference. So he says in uh, Judges 7 and verse 4, the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are yet too many, bring them down unto the water where I try them there, and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, these, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and whosoever I say unto thee, uh, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, and him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. What is he saying? There is a difference in how people approach the opposition and the enemy that is in front of us. There were those that were going down with a spirit of indifference. They're just interested in drinking. But there was others that were going down that were thirsty, but they were concerned about the enemy. So they were drinking so as to be able to keep a watch. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he came to his disciples and they were sleeping. And Jesus' question was, what, could you not watch for one hour? And the problem was they were negligent. Uh, they were indifferent about what was going on. And at the time that they were supposed to be praying, there was a spiritual battle that was waging. And that was the battle of the demons of hell against Jesus Christ, who was going to become the sacrifice for the sins of man. But yet they couldn't watch. There was indifference and neglect in their hearts. And Jesus said, couldn't you watch for one hour? And so things that need to be purged out of our life is a spirit of indifference. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about the days in which we live and the future and prophecy and all that, and we were talking about the, uh, the church in present-day prophecy is the Laodicean church. And the Laodicean church is a church that's marked with lukewarmness, neither hot neither cold. What is the problem with the Laodicean church? It's a church that has a spirit of indifference. It's okay if everything's working all right, that's wonderful. If it's not, then that's okay too. Just don't bother me about it. And, and, and I, I talk with many pastors and talk with folks about where we are prophetically in Bible history and certainly in church history. And, and it's very, everyone has the same spirit in an acknowledgement of the fact that the battle is hard to win because of a spirit of indifference among God's people. I look across, every Sunday night, I look across this auditorium and I see families that are not here that have children 
And I and then you know, I wonder to myself, what is it? They don't care about their children being trained spiritually, or is it just it doesn't matter if they're trained spiritually, or is it they don't care if they're trained spiritually? Is it that they're not concerned about the fact of what the outcome is going to be? Because be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can't sow negligence, indifference, and fear in the hearts of your children and then expect them to be powerful believers in Christ that's going to stand up when the battle is strong fighting against them. And it, it, it's an alarming thing. It's an alarming thing to watch. And I've watched for 35 years the effects of indifference and negligence in the life of believers. And I'm going to tell you, you don't win battles with that type of spirit. Gideon's going to fight a battle against the Midianites. It's going to be a mighty war against a people that is stronger than he. And we are living in a world that is stronger than we are. And we've got to battle the, the fight that we have before us with spiritual things. There has to be a purging out. And it's, it's, it's alarming. It's an alarming situation. It really is. So purging out. And uh, they say, well, you know, well, preacher, you're preaching to the choir. I understand you guys are here all the time. Uh, but you see somebody that's a member of the church and they're not here. You need to go to them and talk to them. You need to pray for them. You need to encourage them because every member of the church in the days in which we are living, and especially the days we're living in, needs to be in church. And they need to be in church every time the doors are open. And their children need to be in church. And they need to be in church. Why? Because there's a battle that is raging against a believer. And the only way we're going to be able to win the battle is to purge these things of the world out of our children, out of our lives, and out of the world in which we live. It has to be removed. So there's a purging out. He's going to go into battle. After the purging out. Then I see in verse 7 through 15, the pressing on. In other words, once you purge things out of your life that is defiling and worldly and demeaning and destructive, once you purge those things out, you need to get on with it. you got to press on. In other words, you have to do something. There's preparation in verse 7. The Lord said unto Gideon, by these 300 men that lapped, why save you and deliver the Midianites into thy hand and let the other people go every man to his place. I see the preparation here in reference to you need to protect the ones that are weak. Because he tells them, listen, I've already chosen, I've chosen, and you've figured it out, the 300 that we're going to use. But wait a minute, there's more than the 300. There's others that are weak. And that goes along with what I was just saying. You see somebody that's a church member, they're not uh, faithful to church, they're not in church, their children are not in youth activities and this, that, and the other. They're weak in the faith. And we're supposed to, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted... Bear ye one another's burdens, it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. And so when we think about this pressing on to face the battle, it's interesting that God establishes a way for them to be able to minister to and provide protection for the ones who are weak. Make sure they get back to the family. Make sure they get back to the house. We're going in the battle and they're weak. Make sure you protect them. And then not only is there protecting the ones who are weak, but equipping the ones who are strong in verse 8. And so the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man in his tent, and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And so here is the preparation to press on in the battle is simply to make sure that the weak are strengthened and protected. But it's also to make sure the strong ones are equipped and prepared for the battle. They took their victuals with them. They took their trumpets with them. Uh, they were taking the uh, resources that God had established well, that was important for them to be able to win the battle. 
And it's amazing when we think about discipleship, we think about Sunday school, we think about preaching in the pulpit here. It is for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so uh, we have a battle that we must press on. We cannot give up. We cannot back off. And as we press on, we need to prepare the people for the battle because the battle is raging and it is getting stronger and it is getting more aggressive. So we better be ready to hold each other up in prayer and hold each other up to fight the battle. So preparation. Notice there's inspiration. Inspiration by, first of all, gaining strength from others in verse 10. It says this, but if thou fear to go down, go thou with Purah, uh, thy servant, down to the host. No, he says, well, if you're afraid to go down, find someone to go with you. Uh, gain strength from others. You know, Isaiah says, iron sharpeneth iron. And uh, you say, well, I just feel weak in the faith. I feel like I'm not going to be able to face the enemy. I just feel like I'm going to be overcome with temptation. Then find somebody to connect with. Find somebody that can mentor you. Find somebody that can uh, pray with you and instruct you in the word of God. Those that are strong, we need to minister to those that are weak. We need to help them gain strength through our influence and through our involvement. I was listening to a preacher preaching on this afternoon. I was on my way home, and uh, well, I, I like this one preacher. I don't know what his name is. I just like some of the things he says. And I'm on my way home on Sunday afternoons. I get a charge in the arm, amen. And uh, he was he was a preaching, and he was preaching about male leadership in the church. And I thought, well, this is good. I got to listen to this. I got to learn something. And uh, he was going on. I'll tell you what. He was going on about how Jacob, at the end of Genesis, brought his sons together and he laid hands on them. I never thought of it this way before. He said he laid hands on them because laying on the hands is for the purpose of transmitting a blessing. And it is. I was saying amen in the car. I was getting excited. And he said this. He said this. He said, you know, he said, we have people in my church that are single parents, single moms. And he said, and they said, well, it's okay. I can be father and mother both. And he said, I tell them flat out, no, you can't. You're the mother. That's it. And you need some men in the church to lay hands on your children to transfer God's blessing. And I was like, boy, this is getting good. This is getting hot. And he got preaching on that. And he said this. He said, I met with some of the men in my church that were over 60 years old. And as I met with them, I told him, he said, fellows, you have gained the wisdom of God in the years of life that you have and it's your responsibility to connect with the young people in our church to transmit your wisdom to those young people. You men need to transfer your wisdom to the young men in our church. I think the biggest plague that we have in the church of Jesus Christ in America is a lack of developing male leadership. And it's because we've allowed the feminist movement to rob us of male leadership in our society, and it has affected our church. We say, well, what does that mean? What are, you, what are you getting at? Inspiration. You need to inspire the young men of our church to be excited about living their life for God. I'm telling you, it is absolutely necessary. You say, well, I don't have children. There are children here. We have 165 of them every day over on the other side in our school. And I watch them. I watch them walk around. And I think to myself, they have no spiritual leadership in their life. Watch young people come in our church. We have buses. We have the van that runs. And we bring young people into our church. And the, the young boys have no strong spiritual male leadership in their life. And yet we sit around and say, well, I don't understand why we can't win the battle. I'll tell you why. We're not inspiring the young men to be men who's going to walk with God because we want to invest our life into them. He said, you're afraid, then connect with someone else who's not afraid and encourage one another. Gain strength from others. 
gain an understanding from God in verse 13. And Gideon was come. Behold, there was a man that told him, I'm sorry, that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. I wonder, our old men, are we dream, still dreaming dreams? Are we giving up giving, dreaming dreams? I've watched people over the years, they get to a certain age, and it seems like they just kind of give up on life. There's no more drive, no more excitement, no more zeal, no more hope, no more vision. Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it uh, that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay alone. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered the Midian and all the host. Gain an understanding of who God is and what he will and can do. Amen. Inspiration. Be inspired to press on. I don't, want, I don't want to ever get to a point where I don't have any fire or zeal to keep pressing on. There's time, I'm going to tell you right now, there's many a times, there's been many a quitting place in my life. There's been many a time I've said, you know what, enough is enough. I think I've had enough. And uh, oftentimes I've said, well, I'll tell you what, I could go out and get me a tractor and trailer and smell that diesel fuel and I'll be great and I'll be happy. Then the Lord smacks me up beside the head and said, no, you're not. And I get alone with God and get some inspiration from the Lord and I get fired up again. There's times I'm tired, I'm wore out, I'm discouraged. And I have to get up in this pulpit and I say, God, give me the fire of the Holy Ghost of God and let's stir the people up for the things of God. We need to gain strength and we need to gain an understanding of who God is and what he can do. Why? Because we'll keep pressing on. I see preparation, I see inspiration, I see celebration. Woo, I, you know, start getting on holy ground now. In verse 15, it says, And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of a dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of the Midian. I mean to tell you, he had a celebration. He expressed his praise, his adoration, his worship of God when he understood who God was. And he experienced a relationship with God through the strength that came through others. He realized what God was saying and what God was going to do. And his immediate response was to celebrate and praise the name of his God. He worshiped his Lord. I'll tell you, the believers in Christ have something to rejoice in when they come in the church. This is not Funeral Baptist Church. This is alive and always well, Baptist Church. Amen. We celebrate Christ. I'm telling you, we're working on an Easter cantata musical. Ooh, the pulpit is shaking. It's going to be so excited. <laughs> Amen. Share your confidence in God with others. I mean, Gideon came back and he told the host of Israel when he found out what God had revealed. He said, hey, let's get up. Let's do something. God's already delivered it. They haven't fought the battle yet. He said, I want you to get up and I want you to be excited because God's already given the enemy into our hands. Hey, saints of God, we need to rise up as a mighty army. We need to stand up in the glory of God. We need to have the confidence that says, wait a minute, the battle may be in front of us, but we've already put it behind us, amen. I don't know about you, but that's good preaching. There's a purging out. There's a pressing on. And then in verse 16 through 25, we see the prevailing over. Notice the means. In verse 16, he divided 300 men into three companies and put the, a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Now, that doesn't seem like a very smart general. 
going up against an army that is greater than you, an army that is equipped with weapons to kill you and remove your life immediately, and you form your 300 men that fight against them by dividing them up into three companies and giving every man a trumpet. Amen. Amen. And Mr. Shotwell was leading the way. Amen. Gave him a trumpet, gave him pitchers, gave him lamps within the pitchers. Uh, what, so what does that mean? The means of prevailing over is we must trumpet out a clear witness. I mean, I'm going to tell you, when the enemy would hear the trumpet sound, uh, they knew what was going on. We have a means of being able to turn people's heart away from wickedness and to God by sounding out the gospel message clear and plain. So we must uh, trumpet out a clear witness. We must be clean, empty, broken vessels for God. In verse 17 it says, And he said unto them, Look unto me and do likewise. And behold, when I come outside of the camp, and it shall be that as I do, so ye do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye trumpets also on every side of the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so we need a clear, clean, pure, surrendered life unto our God in verse 19. So Gideon, the 300 men were with him, came on the outside of the camp and beginning in the middle watch. Well, they had but uh, newly set the watch uh, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Strange, strange situation here. They had to be clean, empty, broken vessels and they needed to let their light shine. When they broke those pitchers, the light shined, and it brought fear in the enemy. Years ago, John Michael Byluck, he was probably only about six years old, maybe. I was sitting in my office one day, and all of a sudden I looked up, and I saw this plastic sword going past my door. <laughs> going, and I'm looking, there's nobody there but this sword coming across in front of my door. So I sat there and I said, oh, no, it's the sword of the Lord. And John Michael, I can still see him this day. He came right around to the door and he said, Pastor, this isn't the sword of the Lord. This is just a regular sword. Oh, <laughs> uh, Listen, we can prevail over the enemy by having a clear witness, trumpeting out the grace of God, the mercy of God, the gospel of Christ, and letting our light shine before men. Notice the message in our verses here. The message was it presented a weapon. They had a weapon, but it was a sword, and it was the sword of the Lord. It wasn't a man's sword, but oh, uh, they had the sword of the Lord with them. You know, the word of God is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. We have a weapon. We stand on the word of God. We refute the, the battle, the enemy that fights against us with the word of God. And so the weapon we use is the sword of God, which is the word. And then we have the power of God. The power is of the Lord. The power wasn't of Gideon and his men. The power that was going to give them victory was their God that was directing them and enabling them to do so. That's why Paul said we're to stand fast in the power of God. And how we need to have the, the presence of God in our life because the message cannot go out and be victorious unless it's directed by God himself. And so the, we pray, we pursue God, we ask God to give us the wisdom to be able to share what's in his word and what the enemy needs to hear. And the enemy has to fall at the word of God and at the power of God. So we have the means, the message, and then in verse 21 through 25, is the massacre. Uh, they defeat the enemy. And uh, verse 21, notice that the enemy cannot stand against the people moving in the power of God. Verse 21 says, And they stood every man in his place, ran about the camp, 
and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. See, the enemy can't stand in front of or against a people who's moving in the power of God. The enemy cannot defeat you because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. This is the victory. What is the victory? Even our faith. Uh, the, the world cannot defeat a Christian who is living in the power of Almighty God. And the Israelites, under the leadership of Gideon, only had an army of 300 men strong, stood against the Midianite army, and when they stood against them, just sounding a trumpet and breaking the pitchers and illuminating the lights, the candles that were inside of them, uh, scared the enemy to death. And they went running and fleeing for their lives and crying. I'm going to tell you, a Christian, a man or woman who stands for God, the enemy can't stand against you. They can't stand against you. It's just always interesting to me when you, st I remember once I was witnessing this guy, I know he was demon possessed. And I was standing on it, my wife was with me, we were in Michigan. And we were on this guy's porch and he came out and he started getting all wild eyed and everything. And you could just see the demonic oppression that he had. And uh, I mean, the presence of evil. I've been in places several times where you can feel the presence of evil. It's, it, you can feel the power oozing over top of you. And uh, I was standing there in front of you. I mean, the power is strong. And my, my wife was like, I'm going to the car. I said, go ahead. I ain't going nowhere. And uh, I was talking with him, and he was ridiculing God and mocking God. And I reached in my hand with my coat like this and pulled out my little New Testament. I didn't have my sword. All I had was my dagger. Now I pulled out my dagger because he was saying there's no hell. I said, well, my Bible tells me there is a hell. Ah, get that Bible away from me. I mean, he was screaming and going wild. I said, Luke chapter 16 tells us of a man who died and it went in hell. And I preached at him about hell. Now I'll tell you, the demons were strong in him. He can't stand against a child of God who's walking in the power of God. All the times we allow ourselves to be intimidated by the world, well, wait a minute. God has already given us the victory, so why don't we walk and live in the victory, realizing the enemy cannot stand against a people who's moving in the power of God. Things would change in America if Christians would stand up in the power of God. The end of all the wicked is the same. Notice in verse 22. And the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the hosts fled to Bethsheba in Zarath, and to the border of Abel Maloah, unto Taboth. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of Manasseh. And pursued after the Midianites. How quickly the battle changes. The Israelites were hiding. They were intimidated. They were fearful. But now they're pursuing. Notice in verse 24, Gideon sent messengers throughout all of Mount Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters of Beth Bara and Jordan then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of Beth, Bara, and Jordan. And they took two pieces, I'm sorry, the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb. And Zeb they slew in the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb, Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. The outcome. For every wicked is the same. It's always destruction. And you listen, the wicked may mock God and refuse God, mock our God, but there is a battle that is going to be won and the outcome is going to be the same. The enemy will cast, be cast into hell. The enemy will be cast in a place of eternal torment and pain and suffering while the believer goes into the presence of God in eternal joy and bliss. The prevailing over. I want you to know tonight that you're going to have battles. You're probably in a battle right now. I'm going to have battles. 
I'm going to have things I need to overcome. We as a church body are going to have to face things that we're going to have to overcome. But I want you to know this. If we'll be willing to purge things out that aren't supposed to be in our life and our ministry. And we're willing to press on. No matter how strong the battle or how intimidated we might be, you press on. You just keep going. You can't get to the finish line if you stop. You have to keep going. So we want to press on. Why? Because ultimately, in pressing on, we will prevail over the enemy. And God, listen, God used Gideon, who was fearful and hiding from the Midianites, to lead a mighty army of 300 men to defeat a mighty army of the Midianites and send them running and defeat them and destroy their leaders. Listen, the battle is not the issue. It's winning the battle that's the issue. And we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Gideon's battle. What battle are you fighting? Might be a health battle. Might be a financial battle. Maybe a family battle. Maybe a, a business battle. I don't know what the battle is. Maybe a spiritual battle. I'll tell you, we've got enough of them. I mean, it is a spiritual warfare constantly trying to rob the Christian of the joy of the Lord. Uh, well, I don't know what the battle is, but I do know this. The God of Gideon, who gave Gideon a, a victory that was an unreasonable victory, is the same God who can give us a victory when we think we can't win. So we fight the battle. We continue on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. <clears throat> we praise you, God, for victory, for successes in our life. We thank you, Lord, for the trials. You said you've counted all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. And so, Lord, we'll thank you for those trials and difficulties because we know this, that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that love us. Ah, we can do all things through Christ with strength in us. And so, God, we rejoice in the battle that's before us because we know we're on the winning side. God, I pray if someone's feeling overwhelmed tonight, they're feeling defeated tonight, God, give them grace to have hope once again. Give them wisdom that they might know how to face and defeat the enemy. And God, give us a spirit of awareness and alertness uh, that Jesus Christ is on our side and he's fighting the battles for us. If there's someone here tonight who's not saved, God, I pray they might come and be saved tonight. There's a battle for their soul. The whole time I've been preaching, there's somebody in here who's never been saved. The whole time I've been preaching, the devil's been trying to stop them from thinking about their soul. I pray you'd bind the hands of Satan. I pray you'd bind the influence of evil spirits. I pray you'd release that person. They would come and get saved tonight. Well, God, we pray. We're praying for victory continually in our midst. Bless us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.